Savior who goes through this day that is unlike any day that you can imagine. And we're going to talk about this morning about how to find God in the midst of busyness. Anybody just inundated with stuff in life? Busy? How many people think they're busy? Good, thank you. I'm not alone. And sometimes when we look at, at, at this idea of being busy and being inundated and focusing and having all this stuff that we do, one of the first things that seems to fall away is our relationships. Whether relationships with people that we love, relationships uh, with, with our children, relationship with our coworkers, especially our relationship with God. And because we like, man, we just don't got the time. And as I'm not talking about showing up in church on Sunday, I'm talking about just day-to-day interaction with, with God. Because when we're busy, we use busyness as a reason and an excuse to disengage from relationship. And so one of the things that we want to talk about, and we're just going to, I'm going to walk you through one day in the life of Christ. And the events of this day are the only thing, apart from the crucifixion, that is recorded in all four Gospels. So, and it's a crazy day. Jesus wakes up one morning and he gets word that John the Baptist, Baptist is dead, had been murdered by Herod. And in Luke 9, 7 through 9, it says, And Herod, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, and he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man who I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. You ever got bad news the minute the phone up when you wake up? Like the phone rings. How many parents hate the idea that the phone rings in the middle of the night? Hated that. My, my kids are, are old and adults now. They're like, have one has their child of their own. And I still hate when the phone rings. And because you, you, what is your head immediately goes to this. Oh, man. Oh, man. When I was a business owner, I'd get phone calls at two o'clock in the morning. And if it was two o'clock in the morning, somebody was trying to break in the shop. So I'd have to get in and I'd go, oh, going to be a day. And sometimes days start real early. And for Jesus, that day started with John the Baptist being found out that he had been murdered by Herod. He hadn't been killed. He'd been murdered. And if you've ever gotten bad news, you just want to, again, I just got to get away. Right? When you get really bad news, you you, at times, at least I do, I want to just withdraw. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to deal with the things that I am, I am forced with to, to deal with. I, I, I want to withdraw. And, and it says in, in Matthew, right? So you have this picture in Luke of, of Herod, not just murdering John, but then the news comes to Jesus, like the guy that killed the one person that knew Jesus better than anybody else. The one guy that got Jesus in all the earth. He's the one guy that said, he's the son of God. This is before, you know, Peter proclaims him. This is before, even when Peter proclaimed Jesus as Messiah, there was that other side of him that's like, yeah, I proclaimed it by the the Holy Spirit. But but John was unique because John was Jesus's cousin. And John wasn't just Jesus's cousin. John was Jesus's friend. And then he gets this news that, 
Like this, this ruler of Galilee had him killed because some young woman wanted him dead. And so he cuts his head off, delivers it on the platter. And then he says this, he says like, who's that guy? So the guy that kills your friend now wants to know who you are. I need to come see him. And then Jesus says, he says, and in, in, in as soon as he heard the news in Matthew 14, 13, he left by a boat to a remote area to be alone. I'm done. I'm good. I'm out. But then that same day, so that's the plan. I got bad news. I, I'm, I'm, I'm grieving. My heart's broken. I'm going to go get alone. And it says in, in Mark 6, same day, same morning, it says the re- the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all that he had done and taught. Gets bad news. I got to get away. Friends show up. My heart's broke. I lost someone that I dearly love. I don't have any emotional capacity to deal with anything. And friends show up wanting to tell you good news. Dude, you're not going to believe what happened. It says in Scripture that nobody, nobody asked, Hey, how you doing? Been there? You're heartbroken. You're going through something. Somebody comes in your life and goes, oh, I got to tell you about me. And that's what the disciples did. And it's legit because Jesus had sent the, the 70 off to do all these things. And all these things happened. And so the disciples were pumped. They're like, Jesus, you know, I know you told us this would happen. I know you told us miracles would happen. But guess what? Miracles happened. Wow. And so as Christ, you're heartbroken. As Christ, you want to go away. And as Christ, you're rejoicing. Because your friends are there. And your friends are stoked because, you know, Peter wants to tell you about the lame walking. Matthew wants to tell you about the crowds that followed him that hung on his every word. And and Luke wants to tell you about the blind being seen. And John wants to tell you about the impact that he had. And they're all, they're all ecstatic. And he goes and he says, hey, let's go away. Let's go away. I'll include you in my plans. I love you. You're excited. I'm hurt. I'm happy for you. Let's just get away. And he lifts up his head. 5,000 people show up. Scripture actually says 5,000 men show up. They heard about Jesus. And, they, 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 and in that time in his ministry, anytime he showed up publicly, masses would come around him. So here's Jesus, heartbroken with friends that want to tell him good news. He's tried to get away twice, and 5,000 people show up. So Scripture says that he gets his disciples like, dude, we got to get away from here. We, we, we have to abandon ship. Let's go to the boat, and let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Scripture says that they push through the crowds, they crawl into a boat, they start rowing, get offshore, and for a brief moment, <sighs> and if you stop the day there, you would be like, okay, this day's crazy. But now at least we can get away. But what happened is that they looked up and they're like, you got to be kidding me. Scripture says that the 5,000 went, oh, they're sailing that way. 
We can meet them on the other side. And so this mass of humanity picked up their belongings and started walking six miles to be waiting for them when they got to the other side. So you got Christ, got bad news, lost someone that he dearly loved, had people that really just like, ah, whatever. Hey, guess what? I got to tell you about me. They get to the other, so they get a boat, they get a plan, and they're like, okay, we're still going to get away, and I'm going to catch a breath. And yet, as they row and as they sail across the Sea of Galilee, they notice that this massive humanity shows up on the other side. You ever felt like nobody understands what you're going through when you're inundated, when you're pressurized? When you look at your day and in your life and it's just like one thing after another thing after another thing and you want to scream or you want to hide or you want to yell. I think one of the precious things about Scripture is and I think one of the reasons why Scripture is what it is and so powerful in our lives is it allows us to see moments in time that we can find ourselves in. Anybody that's ever worked that's had to process bad news but had to show up for a job knows what it's like to get bad news in the morning, you still have to go to work, and everyone's going, hey, dude, why are you so upset? I'm so upset because someone just died, and I have to be at this stupid job because i got to still pay the bills. Or everybody, if you've ever gotten news and you want to just check out, like, man, I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with anything. The phone rings. And you, you, you're on the phone with someone that wants to tell you how awesome things are. Oh, things are so great, not for me. Hebrews tells us that this high priest of ours, referring to Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing we did, yet he didn't sin. What's fascinating about this day is that when Jesus got to the other side of the boat, he did, and and he found out that he wasn't met with the solitude that he hoped for. He, He didn't find that quiet corner where he could, in one hand, listen to his disciples tell awesome things, on the other hand, allow himself to grieve. No, he had this massive humanity. And some scholars say that if you read Scripture, there's 5,000 men. Some scholars put the size of the crowd to almost 25,000 people when you attribute women and children with it. So he's got these huge people. And it says in Luke 9, it says, And he welcomed them and taught them the kingdom of God and healed those who were sick. I'm heartbroken. I've got people that haven't yet asked me how to do. I've tried to get away twice. And I've got this people that need me, and so I'm engaging with them. And still the day's not over. What I crack up about this day is, is during this day, you know who loses it first? The disciples. The disciples are all stoked, like, hey, look, all this awesome stuff's happening. Like, man, Mark 6. <laughs> Send the crowds away, it's getting late. I'm, I, I can't, we can't deal with this. They're ruining my ability to tell my story, get them out. And then Jesus says, oh, you need to feed them. It's that day. Right? We rejoice with, my God, 5,000 people or 10,000 people or 25,000 people were fed that day. But when you look at the entire scope of that day, 
It started off with getting news about a friend dying, being murdered. And he takes the time to, to heal us. So, so, so far that, that Jesus has, has dealt with sorrow, he's dealt with threat. He's dealt with immeasurable joy with his disciples. He's dealt with immense crowds. He's dealt with insensitive interruptions. He's dealt with incredible demands. And now he's dealt with inept help. And yet, it says Jesus looked at him. And, and, and then the crowds look at him and he says they want to take him by force, which means they so are enamored with what this guy's done. He's like, I want you as the ruler. It says Jesus withdrew and in, finally he went up. He says after feeding the, 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 the people, they wanted to make him a leader. And so he tells his disciples, get in the boat. He dismisses the crowd, and finally he's alone. Finally. So he's gotten bad news. He's got crazy friends. He tries to run from the crowd. The crowd finds him. He teaches and preaches to the crowd and heals the crowd. He feeds the crowd. He sends the disciples on their way with the boat, like, hey, you get out of here. The X number of thousands of people, you go. And it says he goes up and he's finally alone. <sighs> the kids are in bed. The dishes are washed. Clothes are laid out for the day. TV's off. <sighs> finally. Some peace and quiet. Day's not done. It says the disciples, when they're in the middle of the lake, a storm came up. And they freaked out. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus gets up. And it's that day. The same day that he gets news that John died. The same day that his disciples come back from ministry. The same day that the 5,000 are fed. Is the same day that Peter walks on water. What a jacked up day. That's scripture, that's in the original Greek word. <laughs> I thought I was busy until I, I, I looked at that day. I've used the word busy a lot in my life. I've, I've used the word busy to say I'm too busy too. Sometimes it seems that way. Unfortunately for us, sometimes when we use the word too busy too, it's usually I'm too busy to engage God because my day is so incredibly full. And yet this day models a way that Jesus, our Savior, as a human being on this earth, endured this crazy, chaotic day and still found time to be with his Father. And that's what intrigues me. It, it's, it's a fascinating story to read chronologically where you're like, are you kidding me? This is like one 24-hour period. And what's fascinating is after he calmed the storm, he gets on the boat and lands on the shores of Gethsemane, and the whole thing starts again. It's another nutty day. And yet over and over again, he finds a way to engage his father. And, and, and one of the things I think that one of the strange places that we, we find God that Jesus found God is in the midst of our busyness. And the reason busyness is 
so, so dangerous to the life of a believer is one, is it when we're busy, we're not present in anything. We're just going from one thing to another, to another, to another. And we are unable to, to be present in, in, in a single moment. One of the things that you'll hear Zan say is like, when I, you ever said, how was your day? It's bad. Or it's busy. The whole day. Every moment. And she used the, and I, and I've come to, when she first started, she's like, don't, don't, do not, do not go there with me. Don't give me this moment stuff. I'm too busy to enjoy the moment. But when you're busy, you are robbed of moments. And a day is filled with thousands of different moments to engage God. Thousands of different moments. On the way to work. On the way home. Over lunch. Before you binge watch Netflix. Being busy robs us of being present. Being busy uh, allows you to t lose opportunities that God pr presents to you. The day that Jesus did was filled with opportunities. And I wonder if I would have, if I was Jesus in that day and, and I found out that my buddy, my cousin, my friend, the one guy that got me died, I would say, I would tell the twice, like, just shut up, man. Do you know what I've been through? I, I no. I don't care if somebody got healed today. My heart's broke. Shush. And I would have missed the opportunity. I will go so far as to say at times we miss the opportunity to, to, to minister because we are so busy. We can sit down and be going somewhere and the Holy Spirit will give us an inkling to go pray for someone or to go encourage someone or to go pick up and make a phone call to someone. Oh, how many opportunities have I lost with that because I've been so, so busy? And yet we read in that day that, that Jesus, in the midst of being heartbroken, in the midst of being interrupted, in the midst of being inundated by needs, he seized opportunities. It says that when he crossed it, he, he didn't get mad at the people for following him. Like, hey, didn't it clue you in when I left you the first time that I wanted you to stay over there? That would be something I would say. Like, I love you guys, but when I'm going to help you here. When I got in the boat and I pushed through you to get in the boat and I sailed away from you, that's a sign that I don't want to be with you right now. But the, but the mass of humanity is like, oh, we need to be touched. And Jesus, because he wasn't so busy, was able to, to, to seize opportunities and Here's another thing. I think when we're so busy, we, we kid ourselves and we're not able to prioritize where our life is. We just take it as it comes. We can't say no because we're just we're smashed and we're, we're, we're just thrashed with what, what the world brings us. And so we're not able to prioritize our lives. And in not prioritizing our lives, we're not able to talk about the things that we need to talk about and be exposed to the things that we're exposed to. And we're definitely not able to engage God in any relational issues because, well, I have to. The word have to is a phenomenally powerful word that is more than likely inaccurately said. I... I, I 
and I use it all, I have to. What are you doing today? Like, I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And the question becomes, do you really have to? Is it that vital? Maybe not. Maybe not, because, and I'm not talking about obligations, right? Obligations, like I got to get up and go to work. Even I got to get up and go to work. And I'm the pastor, and I only work like 20 minutes on a Sunday. And, and yet when I had a real job, it's like I had to show up. And when I had a real job that had responsibilities, I definitely had to show up there. Because if I didn't show up there, guys would just be standing around and I'd go broke because the boss wasn't there. And they would find a reason. It'd be like teachers, right? You know, you'd have students. If your teacher's late by when I was in school, like 32 seconds, when you have no class. Bosses is like 21 seconds. Boss ain't here when I do nothing. And so you have obligations, but obligations are not the same as the have-tos. The have-tos, we lose all sorts of priorities. And we lose all sorts of perspective. What I loved about Jesus is his priority was always time with his father throughout his earthly ministry. It was always time with his father. It says at the end of this crazy day, before he went and, and, and rescued the people. It says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up by the mountain by himself to pray. So the third time he tried to get away and the third time worked, at least for a season. When he first got the news, he wanted to go away and isolate himself and he got interrupted. The second time he wanted to go away was when the disciples came and he tried to go away and, his, and, and the crowds found him. And this finally time when the day was done, sort of, he was able to go up in Matthew 14, 23. And, and, and in that moment, I think he gives us a model of what do you do? How do you find time when you're busy? How do you find God in the strange place of the hectic, chaotic life that most of us live? I think the first thing you have to do is you have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about it. Why? Because if you're not intentional about it, what's going to happen? It's not going to happen. Very simply put, we will stack our lives fence line to fence line. We, most of us, live wall to wall. We got 32 seconds. We can fill that 32 seconds with something. We can go on YouTube and find the latest crazy clip to share with our friends for 32 seconds. We will fill our lives constantly. If we're not intentional, like Jesus was, we will continually be consumed by our life. It's, and, and I'm not sure why Jesus said he, he went up to the mountain. Maybe, like for many of us, we find it easier to engage relationally with God when we distance ourselves from high tech. And God's talking to one of you about being in, in, in Yellowstone. And one of, the, one of the most enjoyable things about being in Yellowstone in the northern part of Yellowstone was my phone didn't work. And at times, being intentional is actually shutting this off. For those of us that lived before this, it's a fascinating thing to find the off switch. I promise you, for those of you that have not yet discovered the off switch to this, you will breathe after the fact. And the earth will not fall over. 
And your friends, most of them will, will endure. You didn't respond to my text. You only asked me if the sky was blue. Yes, it's okay. This is a phenomenally gifted technology that keeps us engaged at times too much. And if we are to be intentional and to bring our lives in, we need to be able to turn off technology. And we need to find a place. So not only are you intentional, you have to be willing to be alone. Oh, the horror. Alone kind of freaks me out, if I was honest with you. I'm, I'm awesome with chaotic stuff. If there's like 7,000 things coming at me, like, ah, eh, that's not bad. It's not a bad day. Because that's what I was born in. My, my household, our household in the Sather household was nuts. I was always in sports, so I was always around people, which was nuts. I was on a construction site, so you're always asked to multitask, which was nuts. I went into school as a husband and a father, and so I had a job and then school, so I was always had something going on. When I came to be a business owner, it's like you have 7,000 things going on. And it's like, ah, serenity. There's 40 billion things that I have to endure. You put me alone? I'm like, oh, God. Because you have to stop when you're alone, right? And again, we go back to this. If you have this and you're in alone in a room, you ain't alone. You've got access to 7,000 Facebook friends. And you might never have texted anybody in the entire earth for that week and you're alone. It's like, oh. Or you share, you got to show, oh, I just found the cutest, cutest gif to show on Facebook. The, the huskies barking and talking, I got to share that. And then once you go down that road, you search for all the husky videos to share. And pretty soon it's an hour later, you got to go back to work. Jesus was never afraid to be alone because as a believer, we are never truly alone. Being alone as a son and daughter of the Most High, you're never alone. You're with your father, but you're not distracted. I don't, if, if I ever get to the point to where I, yeah, I shut off and it's just me and him, it's like, it's like date night. It's sitting down with my dad going, oh, God, how I needed to spend time with you. Not out of obligation, but out of opportunity. Right? If I am a, a, a man who is used to having multitasking and doing all this stuff and having your head go a billion miles an hour at midnight to be able to stop and go, to, I'm just with you today. I'm just with you for this moment. You see, we preach this to couples. But rarely do we preach this to believers. It's the same principle. If I am never alone with my father, my relationship with him never grows because I'm never alone enough to listen. I'm only, I'm only alone enough in desperation. And in desperation, it's usually between chaotic events. So if I look at Jesus, I would have prayed like God stopped the crowd. And I would have rode over there and then I would have sat on the shore and went, wow, I wonder what those guys are doing now. But Jesus in the midst of it, not only intentional, 
He also finds time to be alone, and in that aloneness, he remains, remains focused. Have you ever been with someone where you lost time? Where you forgot what time it was, where it was like you're supposed to be home at, at 10 and it's 1 and you're still talking. All you sweethearts in the room that are dating, all you happily married couples, I know that there were parts, moments in that relationship where you're like, it just stopped. It just, it just, it didn't matter. And it's in that time that you become so consumed with the other that it's just like, it's just, that's it. And I wonder when Jesus was alone, because there had to be a point in time where he divested himself of the needs of humanity to be with his father so he could engage the needs of humanity. It says at three o'clock in the morning, he was still with dad alone and then he knew what the, his friends were going through. It was like, hey, pops, I got to go. I got to go deal with what I got to deal with. He didn't turn his back on the needs that the world brought him, but in the midst of those needs, he found a way to engage his dad. And engaging his dad and being in relationship with his dad allowed him to deal in a healthy way the crazy. I don't think anybody in this room could endure a day like Jesus did that day. I don't want time out about 10 in the morning. I'm like, y'all are going to be without me. And so it begs the question, like, what, what made him different? And I think it's this. I think it was his ability to be intentional. To be able to stop and go, hey, this is more important than all this other stuff. All this other stuff is going to be here. But this time with my dad's more important than right now. And so no matter what I'm faced with, I'm always going to pursue that so that every day I'm going to find time with that. Maybe it's not going to be always at 6 o'clock in the morning over a freshly brewed cup of coffee. Maybe it's going to be in my car on the way to Denver to another meeting. Maybe it's going to be walking around a park before the kids come home and before everybody expects to be fed. Maybe it's going to be when they're all in bed and it's finally quiet and the dog's fed and he's sleeping and I can just take a moment. But no matter what time it is, it does happen. And it is at that point in time. It's not like, hey, what are you doing? It's like, I'm, I'm with my dad. I'm hanging with my dad. I'm not worrying about the latest text. I'm not worrying about the Twitter feed. I'm not worried about whether CNN or Fox News is right. I'm, I'm just being with my dad. And it is at that moment that I can, I can divest myself and deafen, become deaf to the world around me and lose myself in my relationship with my father and in my losing myself in my relationship with my father. I find myself so that I can wake up the next day and do it again. Of all the crazy places we can find God, I think in our busyness is one of the most unique and one of the most challenging. Why don't we stand?